Welcome to the Stable Travel Podcast, hosted by Nicolette Lafferty. Hello everyone and welcome to the Stable Travel Podcast, episode 48. Today I lost Dopey. Would you like to introduce yourself, Dopey? Thanks, Nick. So, hey everyone, it's great to be here. My name is Sophie Jeeves. I'm 26 years old. Um, I live on Sydney's Northern Beaches, so I've grown up in a beautiful area. I live with my partner, Eric, who also has cerebral palsy. Um, I'm an absolute lover of travel, so I've travelled um, a lot, both interstate, but also mainly um, internationally, and yeah, can't wait to start this conversation. Yeah, so let's start uh, with one general question. So, can you basically talk about in general what are some of your favourite trips you've been to? Yeah, so um, I should also mention um that I have cerebral palsy um, and I think and I think one of some of my favourite trips have have been around Southeast Asia. Um, I absolutely love the culture um around Southeast Asia, and my auntie is Cambodian, so I've so I've grown up um being I guess more aware of the culture around Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, and other and <clears throat> other um bordering countries. And I think one of the things that I love about those countries is not only the culture, but also just how friendly people are. Um, I I think people often talk about how when you go to foreign countries, you get and you have a disability, particularly me being in a wheelchair a lot of the time, you have um you get a lot of stares and a lot of curiosity. And I definitely did get that um in Southeast Asia, but mostly I just got people being really friendly and people just you know, wanting to know who I was, wanting to know a bit more about my story. And I think it was a really great um, way to expose people to disability. I also, one of the reasons that I love travelling to those countries is because I'm sure you can imagine, Nick, they're not the most accessible um, when it comes to wheelchair accessibility. And um, my parents... um very much have come from the mindset of, you know, we're not going to let um, Sophie's disability get in the way of the places that we want to see, the things that we want to do. So, sure, it might need some more, um, you know, more more planning and more adaptation, but, you know, I've been carried up, um, you know, Laos, um, you know, sand dunes up to the top of mountains. Like it's been, it's been a really awesome experience. And I, and I often think, you know, if, you know, if I had been born into a family that didn't love travel as much as mine, would I have got to have seen these amazing places? Yeah, I didn't think you had parents that are willing to make things possible for you. But we yeah. hear there's some people with disability out there that don't have it's just tough luck in the in they, they might not know how not have uh, we're willing to, to do all the research and everything. Yeah, so, yeah. Definitely. 
Definitely. Yeah. So we hear quite a few story about issue at airport and air travel in general and stuff. So what is your experience with, like why you do air travel? Um that's a really that's a really broad question and it's something that I could literally talk um for ages on. I I've had um I've had some interesting experiences to say the least when it comes to airport and mobility devices and mobility um impairments. Um but one of the um but I guess one of the things that sticks out to me the most is that you, you is that in my case I have to travel with either a manual wheelchair or my or sometimes I'll travel with my manual wheelchair that's got my power assist on it, which basically just gives me the ability to, I guess, get my get myself from A to B without relying on someone to push me in the wheelchair. Um, and the amount of times we have, um, gotten to the destination of the of the location of wherever we're going and. The wheelchair has been, um, you know, quite badly handled by the luggage by the luggage handlers, and so I've certainly gotten to locations where you know foot plates have been missing, or um, you know, bolts have come loose, which means the backrest isn't sitting in there, sitting in the place properly. Um, so yeah, so that can make it really difficult. Another another challenge that I've had is. Um, actually, just yesterday, um, I was traveling back from Canberra, um, for a work trip, and basically, um, so when I so when I travel, I travel with both my wheelchair and my walker because I use my walker indoors, and it just helps me with transferring in and out of bed, and also, um, you know, getting to and from the bathroom and things like that, where I guess. The wheelchair in my situation would make it a little bit harder. Um. So anyway, <clears throat> so I get so basically what happened yesterday was I get to the check-in desk and I say, you know, I've got my wheelchair, I've got the I've got the dangerous goods letter for the power for the power assist battery, and then I've also got the walker. But because but in order to fold the wheelchair down you need to deconstruct the chair. So you need to take the backrest off as well as the cushions, as well as the foot plates. And then it folds together and then that's how they that's how they put it in oversized. Anyway, in order to keep all the bits together, I always carry a, a like a big um like a big kind of it's, I I use my actual portable sour chair bag but the best way I can describe it is you know those big bags that you get from the two dollar shop that you put all your like old um you know bits that you don't want or your storage you know things that you don't really use you know that you might pull out once a year or whatever um so anyway so I put all the bits that belong to the wheelchair in that in that bag because it's just easier in the sense that it keeps it all together. Nothing will get lost because otherwise you end up carrying about five or six pieces because the wheelchair goes in 
oversized luggage. And so anyway, I put the I said, you know, I've got this bag, it'll go it'll go with the wheelchair. So that means that I have three pieces of luggage that needs to go to oversized um that needs to go to oversized luggage. Anyway, I I said that to the guy at check in and the guy said, Oh no, because you've got three pieces of mobility equipment, you'll have to pay for the third one. And I said, because he said we only allow two pieces of mobility equipment per passenger. And I said, but it's not three pieces. I said, you you require the um the wheelchair to be folded, to be put underneath the plane. Therefore, I have to deconstruct the chair. And therefore, it is not three pieces because it belongs to the chair. Anyway, I stood there arguing with the guy for about 20 minutes and he eventually waived this so-called fee, which I had never heard of. Um, And then I, and then anyway, about maybe about five, ten minutes later, I'm walking around to security and I've got the, I've got the battery that sits in my wheelchair because you have to take that on as carry-on luggage. And I also have my spare cochlear implant. Now, for anyone that knows um, anything to do with cochlear implants and airport security, I don't know if it's the same with hearing agent, but you can't actually go through the security um, x-ray machine. So, and neither can the spare cochlear, which I always have in a box. So I always have to explain to the people at security that, I'm not carrying a bomb. This, this is actually a hearing device and it cannot go to its security. Anyway, the um the guy the guy says to me, Oh, what is this? And I say and I go, a cochlear implant. I said, I'm wearing a cochlear implant and I point to both my implants and he goes and he goes, A what? And I'm like a cochlear implant, an Australian invention for people with hearing loss. Like, come on! And then, and then, and then. Anyway, I've got um, I've got these, I've got these little, I've got my spare parts in little plastic sleeves in the in in the bigger box that I carry in the bigger um zip up box that I carry through security. And he goes and he opens it up and because they have to look at it and he goes. You sure it's not drugs? And I go, it's a it's a it's a hearing device. I don't know what more I can tell you. And then and then and then he and then he did the swab and it was all fine. But then he looks at my clock. He looks at my um my power assist battery that belongs to my wheelchair, and he goes, "Oh, what's this for?" And I said, oh, it's the battery for the wheelchair. And he goes, well, where's the wheelchair? And I go, are you kidding me? It's literally, I've just put it in oversized and this has to come on carry on. And then and then I stood there for about five minutes while they were while they were talking amongst themselves and deciding that the battery was okay to come to come through. But I think I think the moral of both those stories is that there just needs to be more awareness and people need to 
think about what they're saying. Like asking me where is the wheelchair when quite clearly it would be in oversized luggage. Like I'm not going to take a wheelchair through to the gate because that means that I have to deconstruct it at the gate. <laughs> so I think I think I think that's been quite hard. Uh, and another thing, really quickly, um, <clears throat> that's just popped into my mind that I find really frustrating is when I travel overseas, they don't seem to have it too much in a, too much in Australia. But one of the things that I find really difficult is particularly when you have particularly when you have a long a long waiting period at an airport for whatever reason and you have to put your have to put your wheelchair in oversized luggage as we've just talked about and so you get put in an airport wheelchair, which isn't a problem, but they um but they basically but we've come across a lot of experiences where they say to my mum and to my dad, oh no, but you're not allowed to push the wheelchair. So while we're waiting for the flight. So just say the flight gets delayed for whatever reason and we're stuck in the we're stuck in the um airport and I need to go to the bathroom or I wanna grab something to eat or I just wanna go for a walk for something to do. They we we literally have to go and get someone to get me from A to B. And we once we asked them why that was, and they said, "Oh no, it's due to insurance." And this is a manual wheelchair; it's not like it's a motorized wheelchair. And I go, and I go, okay. So my mom and dad have been pushing wheelchairs probably since I was about four. Before that, they were pushing prams, and. Somehow you still won't let them push a wheelchair because you're worried about security or insurance, sorry. So I think yeah. So I think I think people just need to not be so I guess ignorant when it comes to disability and not be so um I guess to just use their brain and increasing awareness is probably one of the most important things. Yeah, then they are sorry that I constantly hear quite a bit on this podcast and it seems like they're a common theme now but then go back to the coffee I do have a number of friends who had coffee in pants and stuff and that to not go through it right and all that but then I went to the Gold Coast earlier this year and they said we they must have new technology now to Stop the interference. I don't know. I don't know how many percent. But now they done made them all go through this new technology, whatever it is. But yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I've actually got an appointment in a couple of weeks with my audiologist, so I might ask them um there to see if there's an update in that area. Yeah. All right. Um. And then quite a few, well, quite a while though, we did the official stable travel episode and you talk about you and your friend went to the stable accommodation. Well, you thought about a stable accommodation. So can you just 
repeat that story for those who haven't heard it before? So I'm just going to paint, paint the scene for you, for you guys so that you kind of get an understanding of how how ridiculous we end up and how it did not meet any of our disability needs. So me and one of my friends uh, um, who also has cerebral palsy, but she has GMFCS level five. So basically for anyone that's not familiar, what that means is she is a complete um, wheelchair user. So she relies on her wheelchair um, throughout all elements of the day. Um, she She's nonverbal, so she uses a communication device to communicate. Um, she also requires a hoist for transfers. Anyway, so and then and then you've got me as well, who is who is who is mobile, but relies on a walking frame to get around or a wheelchair for longer distances. So, uh, but. Um, but having said that, I if I was to let go of my walker even for a split second, it wouldn't be pretty. I would end up on the ground. Um, so anyway, so basically, um, me and my me and a couple of and a couple of our support workers who had all become quite good friends decided that we were going to surprise um my friend Jess who's in a wheelchair um with the weekend with the girls weekend away to Mudgee and we were looking for sorry just the girls weekend away and we'd say that the big four um caravan caravan park up on the central coast the year before and we had an amazing time we we found their cabins to be super accessible. There was enough room. It met it met all the mobile it met all our mobility requirements and all the accessibility requirements. So we thought, okay, the the big floor must have like a standard that they that they obviously make sure that all their parts that all the accessibility cabins um meet the same level of accessibility. So we were like, okay, where else can we go? So, so me and my support worker were looking, um, were looking on um the big four, and we saw that there was a camp. That we saw that there was a caravan park in Mudgee. So we called them and we explained, you know, all our accessibility needs to two people, um, in wheelchairs, to and to support workers. They were like, yeah, there's no problem. Um, it's all, there's a ramp up to the door. There's a, there's a walk-in shower, bedroom. The, the bedrooms are quite big. So you'll be able to get a mobile hoist um, in and around the bed for, for Jess. So basically, um, so basically, so we were like, sweet. So we booked it and Jess's mum, had organized a mobile hoist. Um, she brought one through the NDIS for just to be able to travel. So we were like, fantastic, we're all good to go. We get to Munchie and we check in and we drive up to the cabin and I walk up the ramp that we and I go, 
and I turned around to my support worker and I said, I said, Amy, I said, this is, I said, this isn't a good start. I said, there's a step to get actually into the cabin. So, so you can picture it. There's actually a ramp to get you up onto the veranda, if you like. And then there's, and then there's a step to get into the cabin. So I said, um, so I said, this isn't a good start. Anyway, you can, we can, we can both get up over a small step. So we're like, okay, maybe it's just this particular issue. Anyway, we get in there and I look in the bathroom. It's not, it's not wheelchair accessible whatsoever. There is no shower chair like we requested. It's no walk-in shower. You can imagine the, the, um, the step to get into the shower is about is about half a meter off the floor, and you just go, what part of accessible is this? And then when and then because it's just one of those small like square showers, so basically because I require full assistance with personal care, I do require someone to help me with um you know all the elements of showering which we specified. Um and there wasn't and there wasn't actually enough room for the support worker to stand in the shower with me, so we were like, okay, this is great. <laughs> so then and then and then we get and then we get to the bedroom, and basically for anyone that has used a hoist before, there needs to be a certain amount of clearance between the bed and the floor so that the hoist can slide underneath the bed so that you can get the so that you can get the person um onto the bed. Well the hoist just well never mind never mind the hoist not um fitting under the bed. The hoist doesn't fit through the door. And it's not even like it's a wide hoist, you know, it's meant for travel. It's a skinny hoist. So we were like, okay. This is this is cool. So then, so then, my poor friend Jess had to had to be changed out on the couch, and we had to get we had to get um we had to get pots and pans and shove them underneath the underneath the bed underneath the lounge to push it up so that there was enough room for the hoist to get um to get underneath so we could at least lay her on the couch. But, again, it, it just comes down to complete lack of um, knowledge and, I guess, awareness of what does accessibility actually mean. Accessibility, just because, just because you whack a ramp on, on, the front of a, on the front of a cabin does not automatically mean that it's that it's accessible, and I don't know who in their right mind would say that the shower that I got into, because I ended up needing to have two support workers help me in the shower that night, because because I had to have one help me stand and then and then the other one help me with personal care, and that's not normally the case. Normally, I'm fine with just one, but. I think it. I think it just showed the complete lack of access, the complete lack of awareness and insight into what accessibility actually means. And I think 
it's it really it really highlighted to me that what they need to have and this is something that I think that accessible that the accessible travel podcast could be good at potentially helping with is to is to actually have people go and stay in these places and write a really honest review of who these of who the um of who this accommodation would actually be accessible for and also giving that feedback to the um to to the accommodation provider so that they can actually do better um so i think so i think yeah i think that that is something that would be really cool to be able to do and also i know as a person that relies on you know those accessibility features i also think if i know that a person with a disability has gone and stayed in that particular accommodation and has given a review of that accommodation i'm going to feel a lot more I guess reassured and a lot more comfortable knowing that it's actually someone giving their honest feedback and not just someone going, "Oh yeah, we're accessible," and then you turn up and you're actually not. Yeah, yeah, because I hear quite a few stories like that throughout recording different stories. Meaning, like someone else said, "Oh, the accessible room is." Down the stairs, up the stairs, only got to sign up with property. And when that there a shower and a bath. And yeah, I hear all the different stories all the time on this one now. And yeah, it's more about getting awareness in there and understanding what it actually accessibility. So let me on to what you. When you go out for um, dinner, lunch, or any attraction, what do you look for when you're planning day out? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I often I often look um to make sure that it um to make sure that there's accessible parking nearby. Um, I think that that is really important. Especially because I have a um, I have a power wheelchair that I use um to go out and about in the community. So that means that I have a wheelchair accessible vehicle. Um, and for anyone that knows, um, when when you're traveling out and about and you have to park in a spot that's not wheelchair accessible, and then someone parks behind you, but you have to fold down the ramp to be able to put the wheelchair in and out of the car and then there's a car park behind, it is an actual nightmare because then you're like, well, cool, I'm just stuck here until this so-called person comes and moves their car so I can um, navigate my wheelchair in and out of the car. So I think that that would be something that I would look for. Um, Also something that I would look for would be... um, Obviously, minimal stairs. No stairs is obviously ideal. Um, however, if it's something that I really want to do or it's somewhere that I really want to go, I will always. I'm not the. I'm not the type of person that will 
let that stop me. Um, and I think, but but I'm obviously but I'm obviously fortunate in that in that way that I do have the ability to manage a few steps. Um, whereas I know for other people that's not an option. So I think um that is that is something that I definitely look for. Um, no stairs, no um. Um, uh, no, um, yeah, no stairs and easy and easy access. Um, in terms of attractions, um, something that I look for is um people is places that take the companion card. Um, it's really really important, and I get so annoyed when I come across places that don't that don't take the companion card. And this kind of, and sorry, I know we're talking about attractions and things like that, but I think this kind of brings me back to my next point of like when you like of when you're traveling. Um, I know Qantas and Virgin they offer fifty percent off um, compa- like companion tickets or support worker tickets um when you're traveling for domestic, um, which is fantastic and I'm certainly not complaining at all. I think, you know, I think you know, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. But I think something that's really bugged me and annoyed me is the the fact that the same or something similar is not offered for international travel because I look at it like, well, you know, I'm a young twenty-something-year-old who wants to go traveling, just like their friends, just like, you know, just like their younger sister, you know. And I and I can afford to, you know, go traveling, and I can afford to do to to pay for myself, or not, you know, which is just like a normal expense that every twenty-something-year-old has to encounter. But what people don't realise is that when they go travelling with a support worker, which is not a choice, it's not like I'm, you know, as much as I love my support workers and I have a great relationship with them, it's not like I'm like, okay, cool, I'm gonna I'm gonna go travelling with you. It's it's a need because if I can't because I can't because I can't get myself out of bed without it. So I'm so like it's not so it's not a want it's actually a need and I I get quite frustrated because it means that I have to save you know double sometimes triple as hard you know to be able to to afford the same trip because particularly if I want to do a longer trip that's more than a few days which let's be honest we all we all want to have like a week or two away or even sometimes three weeks away um you know, which we're entitled to do. Yeah, I, I I will sometimes have to take two support workers because it's unreasonable to expect um one support worker to be on that, um on shift for that whole amount of time. I all it's in fact I think it's actually illegal. Um so I think so I think you need so I think you definitely need to have to support workers for everyone's well-being and safety and whatnot as well, um. But it just, but it just really limits your options in terms of the fact that you have to pay for for their accommodation, for their travel, for their, um, for their flights. And I think I and I and that would be something that I would hope that maybe through accessible through the accessible travel podcast 
that we could help advocate for and change because I feel like that that gives people an unfair um, disadvantage. But sorry, I just put on a complete side note. But I think um, in terms of attractions, I think also um, just um, just making just making more activities inclusive as well. I think is going to be one of the most important things. I know, I know I can't, I know, I know I can't tell you the amount of times, you know, I wanted to go and do a particular activity. Like I know me and my partner, Eric, were looking at doing an escape room in um a few months ago, which we still want to do, but trying to, but trying to find somewhere that was accessible was, was a real nightmare. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that that's something I definitely look for. And I think, and I think sometimes I, I find, I find with my hearing impairment, I, I can become overwhelmed with, um, loud, loud, loud noises and noisy environments. So I think, um, yeah, I think just being mindful of those things. Yeah. And you just, uh, um, about hearing impairment stuff. Do you have any accessibility requirement when it comes to your um hearing impairment? Yeah. Um. So. So. Um. <clears throat> so I guess it, I guess it relates to travel in some sense that um that up until a few years ago the cochlear implant didn't have Bluetooth capability. So it meant that all my conversations had to be um on loudspeaker on the phone. So, you know, I, I always remember um I always remember coming back from TAFE and mum um would always mum would always meet me off the bus or meet me at the front of our house to help me cross to help me cross the road with my wheelchair. Um, so I'd always kind of let her let her know um that, you know, that I was on the bus and that I would be this amount of time or, you know, someone in a taxi or whatever. Um, but you know, she'd often wanna strike up a conversation of, you know, how was your day? Or did you follow up with this? Or, you know, how did how did this go? And I'm like, Mom, I can't actually talk about this right now because I'm on my own because you're on loud speaker but um but but fortunately now that's not that's not too much of an issue because I um actually have um I actually have Bluetooth capability actually one of the issues that I did find yesterday and I don't know if it's just Canberra airport or airports in general but I Found it particularly difficult yesterday. Um, so you know when you're in the lounge area and you're waiting, you're waiting for your flight, and they're making announcements over the loudspeaker, and it's usually this flight is delayed by this much, and you know this flight is departing now, so please board at this gate or whatever it is. Um, and I really struggled to hear over the la- over the loudspeaker and hear over the echo with the loudspeaker. So I had to get my support worker to just repeat. I was like, oh, was that relevant to our flight? Because I didn't really get what get what that announcement was for. Um so that that would be something. Um I guess if I'm going to like a concert or 
um, a play or a musical or something like that. <laughs> um, just making, as well because of my vision impairment, just making sure that I'm relatively close to the front so I'm able to participate and not feel like I'm removed from that environment. So, yeah. So you've done many day trips over the near at the Snowy Mountain. So I think you were down there probably the same time I was down there, but just in the... In, on the other resort, we I want our friend by with Curtin and Gab. Um, so can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So I'm really lucky. Um, I I come from I come from a father who loves skiing. Um, and has always done. Um, and we went. The first time I ever saw snow, I was three years old, um, and we went to the snow, um, <coughs> and <coughs> sorry, we've got um, we've got a little video, um, you know, back on the old films where I'm, you know, this little tiny human on on these little skis, skiing in between my mum and dad, holding on for dear life, hoping I don't fall over, um, but. That was, um, so that was my first time to the snow. And then we didn't actually go back until I was about eight. So there were quite a few, maybe eight or nine. So there were quite a few years, um, in between. And I, speaking to my, speaking to my parents about it, you know, I, 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 I asked them the question. I was like, why do you, why, why was it so long between ski trips? And they said, and they said, well, you know, as we got older and we realised, you know, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't hold you up on skis. And, you know, it was quite evident that you weren't going to be able to balance on skis. And we thought that the, um, we thought that the, not, that the ski slopes weren't going to be the most accessible for you. So we didn't go. So, and anyway, it was actually to um, some other families at, um, CPA because I attended a therapy group there that we found that we found out about Dis- disabled winter sport Australia or um, DWA um, and we went um, so we went there for you know um, we went there for the first time when I was about nine or ten and I got put in um, I got put in this little sit ski and it was like it was like some I I honestly remember the feeling um to this day it was like something that I had never felt before to the point where because we went down with other families where there were other kids with CP and then there were parents skiing and then we had siblings also skiing together and it was something that I had never felt before when it comes to sport because often in sport because it's quite physical I'm not able to participate or if I am able to participate it's it's quite it's quite different and I guess growing up you don't you don't want to feel different you want to kind of blend in and you know do the same as everyone else and so 
I'd never felt that way about sport before. You know, I'd always felt like I was the one who needed all the adaptations and, you know, they were just kind of squeezing me in because they had to rather than, like, being like, oh, yeah, we've got, like, this awesome thing. You can actually go skiing. Um. So, yeah, so for about five, six years, we every year there was about three or four families that all had a child with cerebral palsy. We were all the same age or similar age. Um, and all our parents um, were friends and all our siblings were friends and we all got a week off school and we would go um, skiing in um, a skiing in Trebro or Persia. And it, honestly, it, it was like it was something that, you know, we still talk about to this day. And, you know, to this day, I still, I still love skiing. It's something... It's something that I feel like that I can participate in, and it's something that I feel like um, I get. I guess gives me that that adren gives me that adrenaline rush and gives me that sense of um adventure. Um, and speaking to my parents, um, you know, when 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 they say, you know, what do, what do they love the most about skiing? It's not. You know, their answer is not because, you know, they love going fast down the mountain or they love skiing through the trees, which I'm, which I'm sure they do. Um, but their 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 answer is because it's something that we can always that we can do as a family. Um, that's not that's not limited by Sophie's disability. So I've had a I've had a long um relationship with. DWA. I go down. I go down most years. I didn't make it down there this year actually, but um, I I didn't mind actually because I I saw that the snow was pretty average, so I was happy to sit this one out. But you know, it was something that I absolutely loved. And then I went across to Canada um for the first time uh in twenty nineteen. So I had Christmas in Canada. So just before COVID, it was kind of the last big trip before the pandemic. And their whole adaptive program that they have over there is amazing. Honestly, if you get the chance, it is it is one of the best things that we've ever done. Um they they have they have a whole center set up that is specifically um you know designed to accommodate um, people with disability through um, um, Whistler Adaptive Pro- Whistler Adaptive Winter Sport Program, and they have they have all their equipment in there. They have a they had training classes for guides that are wanting to learn how to guide through six skis. Um, yeah, so that that was an awesome experience, and it's something that I really want to go back and do again. Yeah. And then to wrap it up now, so thank you for coming on to the Accessible Travel Podcast. Thanks, Nick. You have been listening to the Accessible Travel Podcast. You can follow Nicholas on his Instagram page, nlaku20.